This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We'll now move into a time of scripture reading. We'll be looking at Ruth chapter 3. I'll give you guys a few moments to take out your Bibles. Or if you don't have one, you can follow along with the slides on screen as well. So Ruth chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose woman you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight you'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say. Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she laid his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, No one must know that the woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured it into it, six measures of barley, and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her, and added, He gave me the six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is the word of the Lord. I will now invite Pastor Andrew up to give the sermon. Okay, let's bow our heads and go to God in prayer. Dear Father, we pray once again that as we open your word, we are confident that you speak to us and speak to us personally about how you've prepared a home for each and every one of us and how all of us need to find our way there in Jesus Christ. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This is home, truly, where I know I must be, where my dreams wait for me. 
Where the river always flows. Okay. Now I'm sure you all know this song, right? This song is from the National Day Parade and it's actually one of the most popular National Day songs titled Home. Now why is this song so popular? Why is it touch a chord among Singaporeans, right? It's because I suppose all of us have a desire for home. But what was really interesting as well was when we went to the dorms. We went to dorms uh, to see the foreign workers at the Shore Road. And uh, there was another church member, not in our church, who actually led some of the foreign workers to go to sing some of the National Day songs. And they actually sang the song Home as well. And you had Bangladeshis, Pakistanis, you had Indians, you had Chinese, you had Myanmar people, and they were all singing home with great emotion. Because everybody wants a home, right? Everybody wants to feel that they belong somewhere. But we think we live in a world where the sad reality is that for many of us, it's hard to find home, right? Home is just a yearning, a longing, a sadness. It's just wishful thinking. It's like a sad song. And I think that's why today's passage is so important because it really teaches us about home, right? Real home, truly and surely. It begins uh, today in Ruth chapter 3, verse 1, where one day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, in the Bible, in God's Word, this word home is much deeper and much bigger and of much profound meaning than our modern-day understanding of the word home. When we think of home today, we often think of things which are temporary and transitory. Today, home could be Singapore, tomorrow could be Sydney, and the day after that, it could be San Francisco. Home today could be Haogang, tomorrow could be Topayo. But in the Bible, the word home captures the idea of like the journey's end, where there is rest and wellness and fullness. We can see this in the ESV translation of this verse, right? Where it says, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest, the same word, rest for you, that it may be well with you. And so this idea of home in the Bible captures these multiple ideas of rest, wellness, fullness, final destination, home. And the reason is because for God's people, God had actually brought the people out of the promised land into, so out of Egypt into the promised land in Canaan. And this was the promised land that God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so in Exodus chapter 33, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. Now, if you look at the passage then, really what's happening is the promised land is, is, is God with God's people in God's promised place. And therefore, their understanding of home and rest and wellness all happens in this place, in this place where they meet God with God's people in God's promised place. And so in Ruth chapter 1, when we saw Elimelech leave Bethlehem to go to the Moabites when he took Naomi and his two sons. It wasn't like, you know, he was like going to a foreign posting or, you know, like he was emigrating, but he was literally, in a sense, leaving God with God's people and God's place. And in Moab, what did he find? He found infertility, death, and emptiness. And so now what we see, as we read the rest of Ruth, 
is that Ruth returns with her mother-in-law Naomi back to Bethlehem. In a sense, she's going back to God, going back to God's people in God's place. But when she comes back, what we actually see is Naomi comes back very bitter, right, at the end of chapter 1. She's very bitter because her life is empty. She left with her husband and two sons. She comes back with no husband, no sons, no family, no offspring, no children. Ruth also comes back. But she comes back with Naomi looking for a people, right? Your people will be my people. But in many ways, she's an outsider. She's a foreigner. She's a Moabite. She's not really part of the people of God. And so both Naomi and Ruth are really looking for home, right? Home in the sense of wellness, fullness, and rest. And so last week in the book of Ruth, we saw that God was beginning to show signs of promise of giving Naomi fullness, of giving them rest in a sense. There's this miraculous provision of this close relative, the guardian redeemer, Boaz, who shows great generosity, great kindness to Ruth in allowing her to collect the leftover barley and wheat so that by the end of Ruth chapter 2, they have one year's worth of food. But one year's worth of food is just that, right? One year's worth of food. It's far, far long, long away from actually finding a home and rest and wellness. So Naomi comes up with this plan for Ruth to have rest, wellness, and home. She says to Ruth, Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley in the threshing floor, wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the dressing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. And so she went down to the dressing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Now in the ancient world, all the farms, in a sense, have this threshing floor. Okay, it's just how things were done before mechanized uh, uh, you know, harvesting and everything. So what you do is you, at the harvest time, you cut down all the stalks of grain and barley, and you leave it to rest for a few weeks in the hot sun so they become really dry. And so on this threshing floor, what you'll do then is you'll get the dry stalks to kind of like bash it on the ground to dislodge all the grains of wheat and barley. Right? So you can see this here in this picture. Uh, here they have this uh, like kind of mechanized thing, and like it treshes the stalks so that the grains come out onto the floor. But that doesn't end there, right? Because after you actually go through um, the threshing process, you also need to go through the winnowing process. And the winnowing process is where you actually wait into the afternoon where there's strong winds. You know, like if you go to the East Coast, usually if you go in the morning, it's not so windy. But if you go in the afternoon, the wind picks up, right? And so that's what they do. They work late into the night, work late into the afternoon, and then they start throwing all the, the shaft into the air, and it separates out all like the loose skin of the grains of barley and of wheat, and then you're left with the grain. And so here they are, they do it until the late of the night, and then Boaz goes to sleep after, you know, they finish their trashing their widowing. This is a really big deal, right? It's like, imagine, for those of you who are in school, you finish your PSLE or your O-levels. It's like the end of the year, you finish the whole cycle of planting, 
of growing, of harvesting, and threshing. It's like, okay, can I have a holiday now, right? And that's what's happening. They finish their work, and Boaz goes to sleep. So Ruth goes to Boaz, and she uncovers his feet. Now, why does she do that? Because, you know, for those of you, right, if you ever have air conditioning, or maybe it's cold at night, you know, sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night, and you ask yourself, hey, what happened to my blanket, right? You know, it's cold now, right? Or for those of you who are married, if you're spouse is uh, very greedy, they take all the blanket, then you wake up as well, right? So that's what Ruth is supposed to do, right? She's kind of like, take the blanket off his feet, then he wakes up. Now this is a very high-risk plan that Naomi has come up with, right? Over the last few weeks, we, 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 form, a, you know, we form a connection with Ruth, right? We form a connection with the, the mother-in-law, Naomi, and we want what's best for them. This is a risky, risky plan. A lot of things can go wrong. So last week, we already learned about how dangerous it was for Ruth to go out into the field by herself. There are all these men, and now she's there late at night. There are all these men there. She's dressed in good clothes. She's hiding there. What happens if one of them molests her or rape her, right? That's very risky. There's other risks, you know. Maybe Boaz doesn't want to marry her. You know, he's a generous person. He allows her to pick out all the leftover food in the fields, but how far does his... His uh, favor go towards uh, Ruth. Maybe he mistakes her coming to the field and thinks that she's there to sexually proposition him like a prostitute or one sexual activity. And he may get the wrong understanding of Ruth. Or maybe there might be some scandal, right? Other people may see them together and think, oh, you know, they're up to some funny business. So I want to tell you a story of a relative of mine. Uh, he was looking for a, a, a dating partner, so he used to go to uh, using these um, apps, right? So he, he wasn't a Christian at the time, I think. And anyway, so he goes to England, and then he finds someone to meet in this part of London called Brixton. Now, I never don't know London very well. I also don't know where Brixton is. Now, apparently, Brixton is notorious for being a really violent area. They had riots there in 1985, that rise there in 2011. Also notorious for being a high crime area, right? So people carry sawn off shotguns there and shoot people. Notorious for stabbing. And it's a majority black area. So you imagine, right? My middle aged Chinese relative going to this part of town at night to meet someone on a blind date, right? doesn't know this part of town at all, would you say that's very risky? Yes, right? It's very risky. My relatives thought that he was crazy, right? How risky it was, and he still went ahead. In the same way, really, the plan that Naomi comes up with for Ruth is also crazy, right? In a way, it's, it's really, really risky. But somehow, we see God at work in the background. God is sovereign, and he brings about all that Naomi plans. So, the threshing happens, the harvesting happens, Boaz drinks but he doesn't get drunk, he lies down, he's satisfied with a good day's work, Naomi manages to find him with all the sleeping people out there, manages to uncover his feet. Midnight, he wakes up. He sees Naomi and says, who are you? Now this is like the moment of the highest tension in the whole story, right? Because so many things could happen at this moment. 
I want you to think for yourself. Imagine you finish like a big project. You go to sleep. You wake up in the middle of the night. It's really dark. Your blanket is uncovered and you, you wake up and there's this person at your feet. A stranger, right? You don't know who this person is. You smell the air. There's this weird perfume smell. How will Boaz react, right? Maybe he thinks it's a ghost and runs off. Maybe he's not that honorable a person after all. He seduces Ruth, right? But what happens instead? Ruth says to Boaz, I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, what does it mean to spread the corner of your garment over me? It's not as if she's cold, right? Hey, I'm very cold. Give me some of your blanket, right? But actually what's happening here is Ruth is referring back to Ruth chapter 2. In Ruth chapter 2, Boaz had said to Ruth, May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded for the Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so what Ruth is really saying to Boaz is, Look, you have asked for God's wings to give me refuge. Let God work through you to give me the wings of God's refuge. This image is a very powerful image, which is used in other parts of the Bible. In Psalm 91, it says, He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. In Psalm 63, it says, Because you are my help, I will sing in the shadow of your wings. So, this image of being under God's wings is a very powerful image of God's refuge, safety, protection, and security. And so what Ruth is saying to Boaz, look, is you be God working through you to provide God's wings over us, God's wings over me. But I think that the image that she uses in terms of spreading the corner of the garment over her is more than just like, oh, you know, keep giving me food. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16, it uses a similar image. It's about God marrying his people, right? Later I passed by and when I looked at you, I saw that you were old enough for love. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. So what is really happening here is Ruth is challenging Boaz in a very bold and frank way. Okay, so you said... May God, the Lord of Israel, cover me with his wings. And she's inviting him to let God work through him to cover her with God's wings in a way, through marriage. Now, often we think about marriage in terms of romance, uh, you know, uh, love and things like that. So we come to the book of Ruth and we think, oh, it's all about romance, right? It's just a romance story in the Bible. So I, I don't know whether you've heard of this song by Beyonce, the single ladies song, right? Put a, thing, put a ring on it. And uh, the chord that keeps being repeated over and over again is, if you liked it, then you should have put a ring on it, right? So we think, you know, it's all about love. You know, you marry out of love, you marry because of romance. But here in the book of Ruth, I want us to notice the reason why she speaks boldly to Boaz. She says, Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. 
So she's challenging Boaz to act because of God, not because of romance. So in the ancient world, in God's law in the Bible, it said that the family line, the family name, the family dynasty is very, very important, right? And so Deuteronomy, in God's law, says that if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, the widow must not marry outside the family. The husband's brother shall take the widow and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son that she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. So very different from our modern thinking, right? In the ancient world, family line, family name, family dynasty is very important. If the husband dies, the brother must take the widow to marry her and give her offspring so that the family name may continue. And so that is the basis in which Boaz is being challenged by Ruth, right? Because of your relationship with God, may God work through you to marry me and to give us offspring to continue the family name. Now I want us to look a bit at this family tree, right? So this is Boaz. Who is Boaz's relative? Who is Boaz's brother, so to speak? Can you see on the family tree? It's eliminate, right? So, really, the responsibility that Boaz has is to who? To marry who? Naomi, right? Because that's the brother's wife. But no point marrying Naomi, right? Naomi is so old already, how to have children? Even if he marries Naomi, the family line, the family dynasty, the family name will still be lost. So what Ruth is actually asking is going beyond the law, going beyond what God's word says, right? If Boaz were to choose to marry Ruth, he'd be doing it out of his own mercy, his own grace, his own love, his own kindness. And that brings us to the major theme that runs through the book of Ruth, this word hesed, right? Or loving kindness or steadfast love. We saw this already in chapter, one, or chapter 2, right? Where we said, Naomi says, The name of the man I work with today was Boaz, she said. And Naomi says, The Lord bless him. She said to her daughter-in-law, He has not stopped showing his hesed or loving kindness to the living and the dead. So we already saw this idea in Ruth chapter 2 where God is showing his hesed or his loving kindness through Boaz to the family of Ruth and Naomi. And so what's happening here, as we see in this chapter, is that Ruth is actually boldly saying, look, you've already shown God's hesed, loving kindness to us, in Ruth chapter 2, by helping us to glean from the fields. But we want you to ask to go further in your loving kindness, to marry me, to bring God's wings of refuge and kindness over Ruth, and in turn, over Naomi. So what is Boaz's response, right? How far will the loving kindness of God and Boaz extend? Will it go all the way to marriage? So we are at the edge of our seats. We're waiting for Boaz's response, and this is his response. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor? And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. 
Although it is true that I'm a guardian redeemer of your family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Now this is a very interesting response, don't you think, by Boaz? He doesn't say, I'm going to marry you because, you know, you're attractive, or, you know, I I really like you, or, you know, I think, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're someone I really want to marry. He says, you know, it's because of this kindness, this kindness that I will marry you. Now, what does this mean? This word kindness is, again, this word hesed, right? What does this word mean? What is this word doing here? How is it being used by Boaz? What kindness did Ruth show earlier on? Well, in the first two chapters, we saw Ruth showing loving kindness to Naomi because she accompanied Naomi back to the land in chapter 1. Ruth chapter 2, Ruth collected all this food. She didn't hoard it or store it or stuff herself, but she brought it home and shared it together with Naomi. So there was loving kindness on the part of Ruth. Now what is this kindness now then in Ruth chapter 3? Some people say it's, you know, because Boaz is like very old and unmarriageable. And so, you know, Ruth is, you know, being very generous and marrying this old guy when she's all these more desirable young men, richer men out there who she could marry. Is that the loving kindness that Ruth is showing? I think the other way I understand it is, actually, Ruth is showing loving kindness to Naomi in marrying Boaz. The reason is because if she can marry all these people, right, then she would only be serving herself, right? Selfish love. You know, I can go over desirable men, younger men. But by marrying Boaz, what she does is she allows Naomi who has no family, no husband, no sons, the potential to actually have more sons through Ruth, to continue the family name, the dynasty, the family line. And so what we see here is that Ruth, as, as Boaz says, is a wife of noble character. She's a Proverbs 31 woman, right? The one who people want to marry in the ancient world. And so she has a choice of suitors. She can marry other people. But she chooses to marry Boaz out of loving kindness to Naomi, to keep the name of Eliminate going, to keep the family line of Eliminate going, to keep the family dynasty going. So what we see here is we see loving kindness both on the part of Boaz, who chooses to marry Ruth, even though he doesn't have to, and the part of Ruth, who chooses... Boaz, when she doesn't really have to as well. And so we see God working through these two righteous, God-fearing, faithful people to bring home rest and wellness to Ruth and Naomi. Now, there is a complication, uh, which, you know, it's like a cliffhanger, right, in the Korean drama. We have to follow it on next week because we learn from Boaz that's actually a closer relative. Okay, so... All right, Ruth and Naomi may find a home, well, rest and wellness, but it may not be this couple that we really want to see together, right? We want to see Boaz and Ruth together. So we may not see them together, but we will see next week whether that happens or not. Now the narrative began with Naomi and Ruth, right, at home. Then it moved on to the threshing floor at night. And then it moves back again 
to Naomi and Ruth. And the words of Naomi are very important. So Ruth comes back to the mother-in-law and Naomi asks, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until that matter is settled today. Now, the writer of Ruth has used words which repeat the themes that we've already been introduced to earlier on in the book of Ruth. When Naomi came back from Moab to Bethlehem, how did she feel? She was very bitter. Right? She was empty. She had lost a husband. She had lost two sons. She has no family. But what we see here is that Boaz says to Ruth, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And this word here, empty-handed, is the same word as the word empty in Ruth chapter 1. And so what we're seeing is God is using Boaz to bring fullness to this emptiness of Naomi. What we're seeing is the beginning of the process of moving Naomi from emptiness to fullness. For Ruth, remember we said she's this outsider, she's a Moabite, she's a foreigner. And here, what does Naomi say? Wait, my daughter, until, he finds out what hap- until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So, in a way, what Naomi is saying is this man will not rest until you find rest. God is using Boaz who will not rest until she finds a home. And so, we're actually seeing here at the end of Ruth chapter 3, like God working, right, to, to bring fullness to Naomi's emptiness and God working through Boaz to bring a home, rest, and wellness to Ruth, the outsider. So, as we come to the end of the passage, then what, what are the implications and applications for us? Many years ago, I, I, I was staying in uh, Sydney, Australia. I used to visit this guy. And he lived in this uh, big house which bordered this nature reserve. Right? It's a nature reserve at the back. It's really a beautiful house. It's really big. It's got an above-ground swimming pool. And... Uh, you know, so big, it's got two dining areas. There's a casual dining area and then a formal dining area. A few years later, he invited me to his house for dinner as well and he had moved. He had moved to this house right on the water, right? It's like literally you walk to your backyard, out of your backyard, it's just ocean, right? You can dock your boat there and walk back to your house. And instead of having an above-ground swimming pool, he had an underground swimming pool, indoor swimming pool. Then a few years ago, I saw him in Singapore on Holland Road. And I said, he was there with his wife. Right? I said, uh, hey, so uh, what are you doing in town? Oh, you know, we're thinking of coming back to Singapore. We don't really feel at home in Sydney. And I was thinking, wow, you live in all these great places and you don't feel at home, right? He said, yeah, yeah, you know, we're really thinking of coming back. So I said, well, are you going to come back and make a home in Singapore? They said, no, too hot. Right. So here are this couple, and they can stay all these different places in these wonderful homes, but they never really feel home, right? 
Now, I wonder whether for us it's the same thing, right? This sense of dissatisfaction, rootlessness, emptiness. We work harder and harder to buy bigger and bigger homes. We earn more and more money to fill it up with more and more things, but we really never feel home in the sense of that, the Bible sense of rest and wellness and the journeys end. There's this sense of emptiness, rootlessness, you know, dissatisfaction. I think it's because we're searching for home, the biblical understanding of home, in, in all the wrong places, right? Because the Bible really tells us that we only find rest and home and fullness in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ comes to us, in a sense, through God's hesed, His loving kindness to us. This is what Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Again, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, that they may have life and have it to the full. Again, in Colossians chapter 2, it says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over all power and authority. So what we see here is we can only find home under the shelter of God's wings, right? And we only find that through our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who shelters us under the wings, His wings at the cross. I was reading a story about a pastor who was uh, in charge of the congregation, and this woman came to his congregation, and she came for a few weeks. And one day after preaching, he noticed that she was crying in the congregation. So he went down and spoke to her. And he said, you know, why are you crying? He said, well, I'm not really crying tears of sadness or despair. I'm actually crying tears of joy. He said, why? So, you know, I come from a bad home. I have an abusive husband, alcoholic. I have children who are in trouble with the law. They're disobedient. They're rebellious. And so, after coming to church for many weeks, she realized that, that home was not that home, but being in Jesus Christ and saved in Jesus. But she also recognized that even though she was home in a sense here now in Jesus, it wasn't the fulfillment of home. It wasn't here yet, right, in a sense. She was looking forward to a heavenly home where she would finally find true rest, true wellness, and true fullness. And so, in our responsive reading in Revelation chapter 21, it actually captures many themes that we were studying here in Ruth chapter 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And so we see the theme of spreading the corner of the garment, right, of marriage between God and His people, the bride. We, we see the theme of God sheltering His people under His wings. We see how under God's refuge there is true wellness, fullness. There is no more pain, death, crying, or mourning. And I think when we read this, we realize then that when we 
when we think of home, right, our home is not really this home, but our home is the new heavens and the new earth. And this only takes place because of God redeeming us through Jesus Christ. So as we sing this song, right, this is home truly, right, as much as we want Singapore to be all these things, it cannot really be all these things, right? Where in the world can we find a place where all our dreams wait for us? Or where the river always flows? Or where we are never alone? These things can only be found in Jesus Christ and fully realized on the last day in the new heavens and the new earth. So I pray that as we reflect on what we've learned today, we will really look forward to our heavenly home where we will truly receive the fullness of God's rest, wellness, and fullness. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we realize that as much as we try to find home in this world, many times we will feel only dissatisfaction, emptiness, rootlessness, a sense of longing, Help us to recognize then that these feelings recognize that uh, our true home can only be found in what you've done for us in Jesus, our Redeemer. Help us to see that there is a, a perfect home which is freely given to us by your Hesed, your loving kindness in Jesus. That all these things can only be realized, not in this world, but in the new heavens and the new earth. So we pray that we will always have this vision of the future, have this vision of where we truly belong, where our citizenship is, where we will find rest, wellness, fullness, and that we will continue to walk only in Jesus Christ. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Andrew for the sermon. Uh, we're now having a time of reflection and discussion. So I encourage you to discuss with your neighbor and those or in front or behind you uh, what we've heard in the sermon and to process it with uh, your friends in church as well. So there'll be two questions. Number one, uh, what makes home a home? And number two, where can home truly be found and why? We'll take about three to five minutes to uh, discuss this and then we'll gather back here after this. So thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.